I can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Today will be in Proverbs chapter 2. As you guys probably know by now, uh, I enjoy reading. And I, I don't, I'm not, a, I wouldn't consider myself a consistent reader. I have spurts, right? I just like all these six months of some good reading and then six months of not reading. Um, but I recently uh, got done reading a book called The Scarlet Pimpernel. Uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel was written a little over 100 years ago, and it takes place uh, during the, the French Revolution. It's a historical fiction, and it takes place during the French Revolution. And it centers around this mysterious figure, and he's called the Scarlet Pimpernel. And what the Scarlet Pimpernel does is he, he disguises himself and goes into France, into Paris, and saves like aristocrats and people who are going to be sentenced to death by guillotine. And so what he does is he gets them and he smuggles them out of France. And the, and the French authorities can't catch him. He, they, they're always trying to find him, but they can't catch him. And in fact, this book is a precursor to uh, many of the superhero movies and comics that we know today. Anyway, this, the book doesn't actually follow Scarlet Pimpernel. It follows a woman named Marguerite. And Marguerite is married to a man uh, that we're told multiple times is just dull and monotonous, and she's unhappy in her marriage. She wonders why she ever married him. He has a boring laugh and boring stories. He's a boring personality. But over time, Marguerite becomes more and more intrigued by the Scarlet Pimpernel. I'm about to spoil the book for you, and I'm sorry, but it's still a great read. Uh, as it turns out, Marguerite discovers that the Scarlet Pimpernel is none other than her boring, dull husband. Uh, and that his boringness, his dullness, is just a ruse, right? To keep people off the sin. Uh, she should have known this, she should have seen the signs, but she was blinded by her own presuppositions. And it's when she finds out who he is that she also learns that he's in great danger. So, for a man that she found so dull and so unloving for so long becomes her object of singular devotion, and as she risks her life to warn him and rescue him. I hope we're going to take this in the room. So, so she finds him falling, dull and this whole book, and then suddenly he's this, uh, this object of her devotion. She wants to tell him how much she loves him, how much she cares for him, and that kind of thing. Uh, and I don't, I won't spoil the ending for you, because there is, you know, I spoiled that part, uh, the ending is good. And I will add a disclaimer, it's probably not very kid-friendly, because it has some historically situated choice words. But anyway, I think that the danger that we face, and that the trap that we often fall into, is that we approach Christianity like Marguerite approaches her dull husband. They're married, but there's not much enjoyment. It's, it's boring. It's dull, right? Unsatisfying. Problem, obviously, is not with the husband, but with Marguerite. She approaches her husband with the wrong mindset. And I think the trap that we fall into with Christianity is approaching it with the wrong mindset. Because when we approach it with the wrong mindset, we usually approach it with a mindset that it's just a bunch of rules. A, B, C. Do A, B, C. Don't do 
No, walking with Christ is not about keeping a set of rules or rule following. It's about making Christ our supreme, satisfying object of desire. That's what Christianity is about. And yes, let me emphasize that point. He is satisfying. And he gives us wisdom not as a set of rules to constrict us, but as road markers to satisfy us. Today's passage is all about the ways that wisdom is satisfying. So what I'd like us to do is, is let's turn to Proverbs chapter 2 and see all the ways that wisdom satisfies us. I'll be reading the whole chapter. You can follow along. Your Bibles will also be on the screen. So Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you, commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He scores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guiding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will enter into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her path to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Wisdom satisfies. And wisdom is like going to a five-star restaurant, right? Dress up in your best outfit, favorite outfit, get valet parking as a special occasion, I'm really setting up your expectations for Valentine's Day. Uh, you are enchanted by a live piano player. You admire the beauty of the restaurant and the quality of the silverware. The waiters and the waitresses are awesome. If you ever been on a cruise ship, right? The, the waiters and the waitresses on a cruise ship are like amazing. Sorry, I keep having trouble with that thing. I think you get a new one. Uh, but anyway. Uh, the waiters are awesome. You can spend all night just the bathroom. Because they have like mouthwash in there. And at this point, right, you can go home with a really happy experience. But you missed the, the whole point of going to a restaurant because you didn't eat the food. The food is the centerpiece of the restaurant and what gives a restaurant its meaning. In the same way, we can try to live a life of wisdom and be satisfied with wisdom, but if we've missed God, then we've missed the centerpiece. 
the whole reason that wisdom exists. So that's why, first and foremost, wisdom satisfies God. Now, chapter 2 starts off with an if-if-then form. So, right, if you do this, then this will happen. Yes, there are numerous benefits to wisdom if you do this. So, what's the if? Look at verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. In other words, you will find all of the benefits of wisdom if you seek it. What this means is that wisdom doesn't come automatically. Wisdom, does, the wisdom doesn't come by coasting. It doesn't come casually, just by going about your day. It takes searching. Careful searching. Remember Jesus' parable about the man finding treasure in a field? The man had to dig. He didn't just stumble upon the treasure. He had to dig. So seeking wisdom requires careful listening, patient humility, needy dependence, and attentive devotion. That's what Solomon is saying. So he lays out the condition. If you seek it, if you search for it, what's the result? What happens? Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The first and highest and supreme goal of wisdom is to find knowledge in God. God himself is the goal of salvation. John Piper uh, rightly argues that in salvation, God is the goal, not us. John Piper writes that the benefits of the gospel have come for one great reason that you might behold forever the glory of God in Christ, and by beholding become the kind of person who delights in God above all things, and by delighting display His supreme beauty and worth with ever-increasing brightness and bliss forever. So the ultimate goal of salvation isn't to save sinners from sin. That's a means to the Sinners saved from sin and death and hell is a means for those sinners to delight in God above and before all other things. That's the goal of salvation. That God would be the center of glory and affection and worship and praise and all. The same is true of wisdom. Wisdom is a means to walking before God rightly by delighting in Him supremely. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of His saints. So wisdom satisfies by directing you toward the deepest and longest lasting satisfaction. God himself.
technically speaking, as we move along, verses 9 to 11 go with verses 12 to 19, but I'm going to present them as different sides of the same coin. And excuse me, I'm just trying to keep my coat from rubbing on this thing so it doesn't make all those noises. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you guys ever seen the comics on the internet? They're called the Brain and Heart comics. You may have seen them on, on Facebook. Uh, but basically, they're comics that depict the funny relationship between our brains, uh, what we know we ought to do, and our hearts, what we really want to do. So, for example, the heart is, is fun-loving and wants to do all kinds of fun things, uh, but, but the brain is always concerned with danger and the risks and what we should do. And ironically enough, heart always wins uh, the arguments. And so I bring these comics up because they bring up in a funny way uh, how we make our decisions. Uh, because if you think about it, what is more satisfying? Eating pizza or abstaining for a healthy lifestyle? I can't answer that for you. But wisdom is the guardrails that help us to navigate living a fulfilled life. And so that's why, second, wisdom satisfies in life. Wisdom satisfies in life. Look at verse 9. If you seek wisdom, the second part, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Simply put, attaining wisdom helps us to live life with prudence, thoughtfulness. Wisdom is the roadmap that dictates our thoughts and actions and responses to the many, many, many choices and situations that happen to us in life. So I use the example, right, of whether you should eat pizza or not, and that might sound trivial to you, but wisdom is concerned with assessing why we eat pizza. Is it with gratitude or is it trying to fill a hole in our lives? Or to take another example, that Facebook post, it grinds your gears. Wisdom is meant to help you decide whether you should post on that Facebook post or not. Wisdom helps you ask and assess what's happening in your heart. As you watch the news, as you watch a secular TV show, what's happening in your heart? What are you believing? How are you responding to what you're seeing and what you're hearing? Is wisdom guiding your thoughts, actions, and desires, or are you letting worldly wisdom influence those things? Those are just simple examples of what it means to, uh, like verse 9, understand righteousness and justice and equity. What it, in other words, learning what it means to treat creation and other people in a genuinely human and godly way. That's wisdom. Wisdom recognizes the whole book of Proverbs is based on the fact that we are part of creation and that we are part of a fallen creation. And it's actually part of wisdom to recognize that, yes, things in life are black and white, but many, many, many things are gray. 
many things aren't as simple as we want them to be. And that's part of what makes looking for wisdom so urgent. Church, I don't want you to go out into the world unthinking about how the world influences you. It does. On a number of levels, in a number of ways, but I want you to master the world. Christians are not ones who are influenced or mastered by the world. Christians are those who master the world. It's like lately I've been trying to to run more, right? But the harder I try to run and the longer I try to run, the, the more sore I get, the more achy I get. So what do I have to do? I have to include strength training, right, to work, to work on my strength. And so the more I train in strength, the more freedom I have in running, right? I can run longer or, or faster. And so wisdom is exactly like that. It's taking that original Genesis mandate, fill the earth and subdue it, and using wisdom to do it, having mastery over creation. Wisdom, far from constricting you, gives you freedom of movement in creation. And it's immensely satisfying to walk in wisdom. So wisdom satisfies in life. And like I said, these verses are the other side of the coin to verses 12 to 19. So if wisdom satisfies in life, then thirdly, it also satisfies in temptation. And there are two temptations that Solomon lists here that show up uh, over and over again in Proverbs. The first is deceitful company. uh, And the the second is sexual faithlessness. So first, verses 12 to 15. Wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Let me, let me pause here to point something out. Especially in regards to uh, verse 13. Deliver you from those who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. Some of the greatest temptations that we face happen because uh, we face them from people who appear godly but stray off the path. What I mean is that when it's someone we trust or admire or look up to, we are more likely to trust them and listen to them and be led astray by them. Another book I've been reading about, and you'll understand why I've been reading it, uh, It's about obesity and diet in America. Just a joke. Uh, It's it's really been fascinating to read, and he he really takes to task, right, our common understanding of diet, right, and and why, what, like appetite and all that kind of stuff. It's really been awesome. Uh, And so, but one reason, he points out one reason that we are where we are was because medical professionals took uh, expert doctors at their word. So the author put it like this. He says, But these medical experts were preaching to a medical establishment that had been taught to revere authority figures, not question their pronouncements. So pay attention to what you listen to and what they say. Solomon continues, right, verse 14, those who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil 
men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Church, it's a plain fact that when evil comes to us, it doesn't look like evil. And it's even harder to recognize it when it comes from people we trust and love. That's why Jesus had to warn of wolves that don't look like wolves, but look like sheep. They look godly and good. They look innocent. And to use a, a real modern example, I don't know if you guys know Eric Metaxas. Uh, he wrote a book about Bonhoeffer. He used to be like a really leading figure in evangelical thought. And, and he's just, um, if you listen to him, I would encourage you to be careful because he has the appearance of godliness, but has um, been spilling a lot of lies. So anyway, it, it takes wisdom and discernment to recognize their fruit. That's the point. They look godly. They say godly sounding things, but it's deceitful. So that's the first temptation, right? This deceitful company, whether it's people we hang out with or listen to or look up to or listen to or whatever. The second temptation he warns about is sexual faithlessness. So verse 16, wisdom will deliver you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her path to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. I know men are really susceptible to this temptation, but I'm not naive enough to know that women face this danger also. Flee lust. Flee pornography. What both of these temptations, deceitful company and faithless, sexual faithlessness have in common is pleasure, delight. Right? When Eve saw the forbidden fruit, what happened? She saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for what? Gaining wisdom. Sin is attractive. It looks good. It promises you all of your wildest fantasies. And we have no hope against temptation because we love sin. But remember, if you seek wisdom, then it will save you because you will know what true satisfaction is when the temptation of false satisfaction comes your way. Wisdom satisfies in temptation. Here's some wisdom. If I could, I would eat pizza every day of my life. Two meals a day. I would probably need to change it up every now and then. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, in my mind, the choice between eating pizza and abstaining for, abstaining for a healthy lifestyle, the obvious choice is pizza. Why would anyone choose different? More pizza. But the reason I don't eat pizza every day is the hope of a long-lasting life, right? A healthy life. Eating healthier poses a greater outcome in the long term than eating what I want now. It's the same with retirement. I could spend all my money now. Not that there's much to spend. But, it, but I could spend all of it now, but uh, I'm re saving up for retirement for what awaits me at the end of life. The thing that we've seen about wisdom is that wisdom isn't just about this far-off, abstract satisfaction. 
It's about satisfaction now and in all situations. But what's awesome about wisdom is that it also promises a satisfying outcome. So lastly, wisdom satisfies in reward. Look at verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The reward for remaining in wisdom or the reward for wisdom is remaining in the land and the price for foolishness is being cut off from the land. The land in in Jewish thought was incredibly important and it still is today. So think back to Genesis when God calls Abraham. He not only promises Abraham a people, but he promises him a place. God's covenant with Abraham, a people and a place, a land. And the land in the Old Testament was intimately tied to God's faithfulness, right? God promised us his land. If God is faithful, we're going to have this land. It's tied to the continuation of his rule, right? If God's people aren't in the land to show the world what God is, right? Then God's rule is in jeopardy, and it's tied to the success and flourishing of his people. Does God love his people? Well, he's going to give them a place, a land. So, in other words, being in the land was commensurate with remaining in God's blessing. However, with the coming of Christ, the land has been expanded to include the whole world. So God's people won't find blessing in a place here, but in a whole new creation. And if you think about the storyline of Scripture, it starts with all of creation, narrows down to a strip of land, and now with the coming of Christ, expands outwardly again to include all of creation with Christ at the center. So what's the ultimate reward of wisdom for us? A home. An eternal home. More and more, I've mentioned this before, more and more, I realize this place is not my home. People that I once trusted and and looked up to and belonged to, I no longer belong to them. I don't have a home there. But wisdom promises the reward of an eternal home. And remaining happens not by strength of might, but by depth of integrity. Those who seek to walk in wisdom now, to mine all the riches of wisdom found in God, no matter what it costs them, will not only be satisfied now, but ultimately satisfied forever. But, like we mentioned earlier in this passage, and like we saw in Proverbs chapter 1, this doesn't come naturally. There's no coasting into wisdom. You're either actively walking in wisdom, or actively walking in foolishness. Don't just assume you're walking in wisdom. To assume that you're walking in in wisdom is actually foolishness. And the outcome of just being breezy isn't reward, but cost. An eternal cost. Seek wisdom. Though it costs all you have, 
get wisdom. Because wisdom satisfies in reward. And as we've mentioned, wisdom is not this abstract knowledge that's waiting to be discovered. Wisdom is found in Christ. Wisdom satisfies because it connects you to the person who is satisfaction. Wisdom satisfies because it connects you to not a dull, boring husband, but to the one who is worthy of all your supreme adoration and affection. Wisdom is knowing a person. Wisdom is knowing Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want wisdom, seek Christ. Seek to know Christ. So what do we do? First of all, ask God for a longing for wisdom. You have to want wisdom to search for it. Especially to search for it how Solomon commands us to hear, urges us to hear. Ask God for a longing for wisdom. Secondly, pray that God would help you understand wisdom. Not only does it take seeking wisdom, we need help understanding it when we find it. Not just understand, but apply wisdom. We don't want to be people like in James who look intently into the perfect word and then leave without having nothing changed. We want to take this wisdom and think about deliberately all the areas of life where we might apply it. And we do this by reading and studying the word daily. Daily. Not just in passing, although sometimes that happens. Look, I'm a pastor of this church, and I don't get to read my Bible every day. And sometimes when I do, it's for five, ten minutes. But always strive to seek time to read, meditate, pray through, think through, think through God's Word, and pray for wisdom along the way. Because ultimately what our goal is, is satisfaction. True, hopeful, joyful satisfaction in life, in temptation, in reward, and ultimately in God Himself. Let's pray. Father God, You give wisdom. Out of Your mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so, God, we come to the word that has come out of your mouth by your Holy Spirit. Because we confess freely that we do not know as we ought. We don't have wisdom as we ought. And, Father, forgive us, we do not delight as we ought. Father, we want satisfaction. And though we've been finding satisfaction in so many other things, Father, help us to find our ultimate satisfaction in knowing you to delight in you, to delight in your wisdom, and to be able to go out into the world, into creation, and master it. To move freely. All for your glory.
We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is wisdom for us. He is the one who is wise, who died for the foolish. And it's because of him that we can seek wisdom in you. And so, Father, we stake our lives, we stake our search on the name of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.